0: Hello. Uh, Awesome. So, hello and welcome to the Modern Romantic Magazine, uh, the podcast. Uh, We're your host, Emily.
1: That's me. And Trey.
0: That's me. Ta da! It's not Jazz Hands, it's Jazz Hands.
1: Jazz Hands.
0: (laughs) That's good. Yes um without further ado emily would you like to introduce um our guests for i the would love to this?
1: i'm so excited we have jillian albinski and douglas young here um from uh, what is it like global headquarters um <laughs> they're <laughs> friends of mine and i'm so happy to introduce them here they are jillian and douglas
0: hello yay yay <laughs> we're giving you such uproarous applause in the chat So
1: what is it tell us how it's how it is ruling the world from there? Is that difficult?
2: He's good at it. What? (laughs) Ruling the world. Oh, ruling the world. Well you see, one of our cats, cappuccino, just came on the lap because it's the cats who rule the world. That's
3: right. That's right.
2: Right.
1: Speaking of cappuccino, we do this thing every uh, week, every twice a week, depends. Every time where we see what we talk about what we're drinking from. So I have hot chocolate in a stoneware, <laughs> handcrafted stoneware mug. I think they lost their connection. Oh, no. No, we no, had
2: a cat step on Oh, <laughs> <cat> who, <laughs> it's the cat. She flipped, it around, she flipped it around. She wanted to see what you guys were doing, <laughs> but she doesn't understand how it works. She's still learning. <laughs> he has problems because she's a cat, and we have a mouse on our uh, laptop. So it's kind of weird for her. Sorry. I could see
1: where that would be confusing. <laughs> So I'm drinking out of a stoneware yeah, right. Handcrafted mug with hot chocolate.
0: What
1: do you What do you have, Trey?
0: Um, I also have a clearly super handcrafted, one of a kind mug that I totally didn't buy from Walmart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it That's... has uh it has rainbow snoopies on it.
1: Okay, I remember that one. How about you guys? What are you What are you drinking for up tonight?
3: I'm drinking from zombies, so Ooh. when I worked on Walking Dead, we lived in Sonoy, Georgia. The A is silent, by the way. That's how you know that someone knows what they're talking about. It is not Snowy-ah. is Sonoy. And so. That's how they know, too. You can talk about yeah. Walking Dead. But...
2: And Sonoy is a little town where uh, it's the uh, headquarters for Walking Dead, where they film this, this series here. And uh, I'm drinking from uh, a mug from uh, 2017-ish call from a film called Gifted, which uh, starred Chris Evans, Octavia Spencer, and a young lady who's now taking over entertainment. Um, I don't know if you can see her or not. That's there she is. McKenna Grace with the cat that was in our film, Fred.
3: Okay.
2: Yeah. The cat's name is Fred? Yeah, the cat's name in the film was Fred. I can't remember what the real cat's name was, but... But McKenna, you can see in the remake of Ghostbusters, and she's got all kinds of awesome. projects.
1: Awesome. Well, that's one thing that I've, we announced to the viewers before we started the podcast, and that is you, you both worked on a lot of projects together, but also separately. And so I wasn't sure all of those things, but one of them is, well, Jillian worked on Walking Dead, Right. Maybe you should just say it. Maybe you should just tell it, because you're better at it than I am
3: here. (laughs) Uh, Let's see, a little bit of history. Um, Came from theater, got into film 26 years ago, and um, I was the prop master for 24 episodes of The Walking Dead, seasons eight and nine. And uh, it was quite an experience. It was was, um, some of the best and some of the worst days. (laughs) career, as is often the case. So, um, but it was it was challenging in a way that uh, no other project has been, just because of the the fact that nothing could be. I'm a prop master, so I'm in charge of everything that the actors handle. I, you know, the cup is a prop. The the the, the phone is a prop. The computer is a prop. The right. Dressing the couch that you sit on is set dressing, but the things that the actors handle and manipulate so, all swords, guns, and knives and things that you stab zombies with are props. Um, and so I learned a great deal about many fun things about how to work with visual effects to create stabbing devices out of anything you can imagine. Um, was yeah, Uh, uh, it was really, it was really. It was really, all kinds of things I never imagined I would have to know in my life.
1: So, if some if an actor has um ha- has a, a moment in a, a film where they take a couch pillow and they have to throw it across the room at somebody, at some point that is set to prop. Well, how do you decide where that who who that falls? Well, on?
3: Lots of meetings. So. Um, I take a script, and unlike a theater script where there's a list in the back of all the props, there is no list for a theater, for a film script or a TV script or a commercial. So I take the script and I break it down and I I mark everything that's like actually written down, like picks up a pillow and throws it. I write that down. Anything that's not listed that I think there probably would be in the scene, I list, I write down, and anything I imagine that they might want. And I sit down and I talk to the director and the writers and the producers and we go through and we we work out the list. And then I take that list and I go to the, the set decorator, who would be the one who would do the couch. And I say, okay, they have to throw a pillow. Do you want to provide the pillow? Do you want me to provide the pillow? Are you going to pay for it? Am I going to pay for it? Are you going to choose it? Am I going to choose it? Are you going to bring it? Am I going to bring it? And that's a pillow. And there's 12 pages of conversations about things like pillows and coffee cups for any given episode or, or movie. And so it's a lot of communication. It's a lot of conversations. It's a lot of interfacing. And in episodic television, you generally only have eight, nine, 10 days with the script before it starts shooting. And don't forget while you're doing that you're shooting the previous script and you're wrapping the one before. So episodic television is extremely challenging to get all of those things to mesh together so that you've got everybody working together and everything shows up on the day when it's needed.
1: It sounds like it's way more work than anybody in probably any audience would ever realize.
3: I didn't know. The first, I had been in the business, let's see, my first episodic was in 2011. So I had started in the business in 95. Mm -hmm. So, um... I had managed to avoid episodic, just didn't want to leave town and there wasn't anything in Charlotte. And so, um, finally, uh, someone said, you have to come and do season five of Army Wives. It's going to be the last season. Please, please, please. So I'm like, okay. 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 So I went. It wasn't the last season. But anyway. Um, and I remember sitting there with the producer and she's saying, okay, and we do seven day episodes, blah, 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 blah. And I said, and how many days off in between? She's like, oh, no, there aren't many days in between. Like. Oh I get it. Never mind. Now I understand.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no days in between. So there's a
3: whole crew of people who are working on the prep and wrap, and then there's another whole crew of people who are shooting. And they all have to interface, but they are almost exclusively separate crews. The the production designer, the prop master, the costume designer, the set decorator, the you know, the producers. All those people are working on wrapping the previous episode and prepping the next episode while the current episode is shooting.
2: And keep in mind that often you'll find that uh, the directors change a lot on episodic television uh, unless you're doing something called block shooting, and that's when you're shooting more than one episode at a time. You'll get the rare occasion where you get someone like Steven Soderbergh who wants to direct all the episodes, and sometimes they'll do all the prep up front so then they go in and they like on a show like the nick they'll shoot all the operating room sequences and they'll go to like all the uh, the victorian house and shoot all of those sequences it's a great economy of scale but often in episodic tv the disadvantage as opposed to a feature film is that the scripts aren't even finished yet often an outline for what's going to happen they call it the bible for the the season in which they have kind of an arc of what's going to happen but the individual scripts aren't often written until you're starting production because they often don't open the writer's room until right before the show starts going into production sometimes that's not always the case but sometimes they'll open a writer's room early but a lot of the times um, they'll we'll start it and we'll be working on the first episode of the series and then we don't necessarily know how it's going to end. They have a, a roadmap for how it's going to end, but things change over the course of time.
1: Do you get a lot of? Um, let me let me think about how to ask this better. <laughs> how creative are you able
3: to be in those in that role? It depends a lot on the project,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and it depends a lot on. The other per- people that you have to coordinate with so uh, as a prop master a lot of the a lot of the control uh, controls the wrong word but a lot of the impact that i have is what i offer as options so i might know that we need coffee cups and i talk to various people involved as to what those coffee cups needs need to look like and do and how big they are and what color they are and do they need to break and all of the other things how many of them do we need but I'm the one who ultimately presents them with the options. So it's, it's a, an interesting blend of being artistic and creative, but also trying to read people's minds to find out what it is that they want and how they want it to work and what they want to do with it. And then of course, at the very end, the actor becomes involved in it because they're usually not part of prep. So you get on set, the director and the producer and the writer have all agreed on one thing. And then the actor has a completely different idea <laughs>
2: Right. And, and you know, um, Julian and I work in some similar territories, some different territories on commercial. She often does production design where she oversees all the visual elements um, for uh, as a prop master, usually focus more on what as she said before, the actors touch. And so, you know, sometimes you get the opportunity to incorporate the actors opinions into things like uh, when she did season nine of The Walking Dead and they did a time jump. And one of the things they wanted to create were a set of knives for, um, uh, for the Daryl character. And so they brought Norman Reedus in because he had ideas and he and Jillian kind of really you know, worked on that together. And what she ended up designing is you know, the stuff I believe he's still using. Um, so you, know, you really want to have that buy-in from the actors because we often say that what the actors do is it not only grounds the actors and the reality of the production that they're in, whether it's sci-fi or historical or present day, even and it, it allows them to have that physical tactile thing they can touch, whether it, you know it's a cup or a cell phone, but it also gives a director, at least the directors who see it as the opportunity, the opportunity to use those objects to help guide their actors, to find the beats they need to convey the emotional moments in the scene. Because a lot of times actors come in, they've got the, Dialogue memorize and one of the ways that directors can help shape that scene is like, hey, why don't you take a break or take a breath in between these two sentences and pick up that coffee cup and you know, take a sip and then say, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and you know that it, it's it's a it sounds really minor, but it's uh, <laughs> cheers. And it sounds really minor. But it's, it's a way for a director to really find a way to work, to use the objects to work with the actors. And when we do props, whether we're a prop master or assistant prop master, when you're working in that capacity, you work really close with the actors because, you know, when you're dealing with food, you're also dealing with dietary restrictions because sometimes actors don't, you know, there's certain things they can't. Eat or keep, can't drink. Jillian was the assistant prop master in *Shallow Hal*, and at the time she did that, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow was macrobiotic, and she played a character who, in who
3: ate through the whole movie.
2: Yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah.
3: Which, whole foods didn't exist yet in yeah. Charlotte, North Carolina, so yeah. trying to find all of the, you know, soy chocolate ice cream in all of Charlotte was a task. Yeah. So you're the reason why it was gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. everybody I literally had a, a van driving me around town to all three health food stores yeah. to find every bit of it. Yeah. it
2: it's a lot easier now but I you know I, I just finished a, a film for Amazon in which we had you know a lot of food scenes and I had actors who didn't want to eat dairy they you know they didn't uh, they want plant-based products and it's fine because but we had you know like a hamburger meal so at one One meal, you know, I had a variety of like three different plant-based products for people to choose from. We had uh, gluten-free bread for their buns, um, and we had, you know, some veggies that some people could eat as opposed to eating anything else. And so, you know, we also have to worry about things like uh, what are they drinking, you know, trying to find um, the alternatives for the alcohol because the actors don't drink real alcohol. So you find whether it's non alcoholic beer. Whether it's water, if it's in bottles that are, you know, not clear bottles, uh, cause some actors will just drink water. Or if you're drinking and there's actually non-alcoholic uh, uh, wine that's had the alcohol removed from it, which most actors love because it tastes like wine. It but
3: looks like wine, which we appreciate because yes. <laughs> grape juice just never looks right. Spot it from a mile away. Right,
1: yeah. you're not you're not having to dye water different colors to try to get it to match.
3: Yeah, that um, yeah. too.
2: Which, we yeah, we've done that too. Yeah. Sometimes you do it. Sometimes with um with like uh, alcohol. Sometimes whiskey, yeah. And whiskey particularly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
3: the brown liquors. Yep. Yeah. But another trick for the brown liquors liquors is water, and a splash of either Coke or Diet Coke or some sort of beverage that has caramel coloring in it, because the there's That color is right. You can also buy caramel coloring. But if you in a fix, note, in a fix, when you need to make something look like whiskey, a splash of Diet Coke will make it look like It just tastes terrible, but it's at least it
1: works.
2: Well, usually we say that usually if the food looks good, you shouldn't eat it. (laughs) And that applies to a lot of commercials, too, because they're bringing food stylists in to make this beautiful food. And, and the actors get so excited, and we're like, don't eat that. It's really, been sprayed with that. air spray.
3: It's been yeah. sitting there for three hours. To get
2: it to glisten. Yeah, right.
3: Yes. and
2: someone yeah. posted a pizza. Yes, pizza. You, you don't want to eat the pizza. It's horrible. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I just did a movie where it was nothing but making pizza, you know, and it's all about the pizza making. Um, but, you know, it's the same thing, uh, like, when you're doing uh, soft drink commercials, most of the soft drinks, have to be lightened in order to film appropriately on camera, um, like burgers for burger com- uh, fast food commercials have to be, uh, as Jillian said, sometimes sprayed with substances that you never want to eat um, to get it to look beautiful. There's a difference between the reality <laughs> and uh, the beauty sometimes, right?
0: So something that kind of struck me as you were talking is I never really thought about food being a prop like it would make sense in in a movie if they're having like a fight scene with a bunch of food in it, but not just like as they're eating. Um, what kind of thinking about all the props that you've done? What are some of your favorite props that you've had to come up with?
2: Okay, so I'm going to jump in and and talk about some of Jillian's props because she's kind mm-hmm. of do some really cool things over the years. Uh, she was the prop master for Homeland for the first three seasons, oh, including yeah. the first year in which uh, the show Upset Mad Men, which had won five consecutive Best Drama Emmy Awards and uh, won uh, Best uh, Drama that year, uh, which no one saw coming, but it was just such a great show. And um, she created some of the iconic uh, props from that season, which she's going to look. Okay, so... So there's
3: she- here's a little book.
2: There's a book you can buy, which is... Oh. Different- so right here, we are seeing Damien Lewis, who played yeah. uh, Britney, Homeland wearing this suicide vest, which slide it over just a little bit. Here. <laughs> you see Jillian beside uh, Damien. Um, she designed this suicide vest, this iconic suicide vest, which I believe is. I remember
3: um, that vest. It's in the Hollywood
2: hmm. museum, something. something like that. And she also did something which is really cool. And I'll tell this funny story in a second. Uh, the Crazy Wall, Carrie's Crazy Wall. And oh, yeah. she had a great uh, team. Uh, it was uh, Lucy Wilson working with her and I think Tiffany Apple creating the graphics and stuff. And um, uh, Jillian uh, works uh, really great with the actors and loves to get the actors involved, where it's, you know, we mentioned Norman Reedus for creating the knives. Um, but uh, what she decided was everyone kind of had an idea of what this crazy wall was. And what it was is Carrie uh, had a, um, what was her mental condition? Bipolar disorder. She was a bipolar disorder. And sometimes she would be, you know, up and down and up and down. But she was literally, she, her character had missed the 9-11 attack. That was kind of the backstory for her is that she had missed it. And so she had always been like trying to find the next wanting to stop it because she always felt that she had missed that. And she had that kind of, you know, as her baggage. And so she, um, she was really over obsessed sometimes with following the patterns. And, um, so she created this wall of documents and stuff. And, and how is it described in the script?
3: Well, one of the challenges of, of anything artistic really, but, um, that I but I run into as a prop master or a production designer or an art director uh, is taking something that's the written word and translating it into a physical object. So when the script says that she has a wall full of hints and clues that are all color coded, great. What does that mean? Is that post-it notes? Is that colored paper? Is that colored pencils? Is that Magic markers is that highlighters is that right. construction paper? What do you mean colored? How is it? How is it? And how is how is it marked? And how do we know? And how is it laid out? And how? And so there were all these conversations, and there were actually two writers on that episode, and so each one I was doing diagrams and drawings and renderings and stuff, and we finally built a life-size board in the art department to like put things up and take pictures and send it. Cause remember they're prepping in LA and we're mm. in Charlotte. And so we're having to go back and forth, trying to get people to look at things and give more opinions on things. And uh, in the end, I finally, um, we had come up with like highlighters and Sharpies uh, basically as the color coding. And she has this manic scene where she's frantically marking things. And we, I put it up on the board to sort of say, "Okay, what do you think about this?" and brought one of the writers in and brought in Mandy Patinkin.
2: You want to so, it from there? Well, okay. okay. So, <laughs> so she wisely brought in the the, um, the actor whose character Saul Berenson was the one who sees the wall after Carrie has been taken away in season one for being crazy, um, and there's some concerns that she might be also a terrorist at the same time that she's flipped. Um, But Saul comes into the room, Mandy character comes into the room, and he sees this wall of information.
3: Actually, I'm going to correct you. All right. He builds the wall. She has all the information on the floor, and he figures it out and puts it on the wall. Okay. So he was the one who was supposed to have made sense of it, and I'm trying to get him to give me his idea. And he's like, well, it should look like a rainbow of color. I'm like, okay, but I still don't know how to physically do that. Help me here. And so he starts singing. For me.
2: So what he what he starts singing from is um, uh, "Sunday in the Park with George," in which he plays. plays <laughs> exactly. I know. Right. Trey, and I grew
3: guess. up right. with Mandy Patinkin being an idol, and sorry, not from Princess Bride, but from Evita, from Sunday in the Park with George, from Yentl, and so he was the one when I met him that I was like you know, that had to take a breath because uh, I'm pretty good about meeting stars, but I had to stop for a minute when I met him. And then here he is standing here singing to me from Sunday in the Park with George. And, and, it was and, one of those and
2: what he was singing was um, a George Marat song where he's doing blue, 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 red, 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 more green. You know, it was uh, <laughs> lyrics were probably wrong, but um, he's singing about the colors as he's uh, painting uh, the pointillism that he does and um, the fact that he made that connection you know is so friggin amazing Um, but also for Jillian as a person who you know remembers watching Mandy in that part on PBS with Bernadette Peters you know to see that connection that's pretty amazing to see an actor process that you know and And one of the things that I have to say, because we both came from theater before moving over to film and TV, is that that's always been the case for us. We've always found that actors who had that fundamental training um, and experience of starting in theater first come at the process completely different because they come at it from that collaborative approach. And so if you can get those actors involved in the process – They understand that from theater because in theater, you sit down or in opera, you're in a a big production space and you start with everyone in the room together and you do the read and then, you know, then you start working on it and everyone's part of the process. And so, you know, the lighting designers know what's happening. The costume designers know what's happening and they have ideas and they're working on things. But as the blocking starts changing, they start adapting, they start making changes to it, you know, because it is a collaboration um, depending on the particular movements of an actor sometimes or how they're using something. It happens with props. It happens with set dressing. And that's part of the excitement of it, which often you don't see in film and television because it is much more compartmentalized. So when you get the opportunity to work with with real theater uh, performers who understand that, it's just so exciting because they also understand sometimes the limitations of what you have. Julian often says, you know, in in film, you buy three pieces of wood you may never use, where in theater you buy one piece of wood you'll use at least three times. And they all understand that, so.
0: I'm sorry. I'm still a little stuck on the fact that you've met Mandy Pankin <laughs> and you basically had George Seurat, uh the at least the musical version, in like your general vicinity. Uh, uh, I am a lot jealous.
3: <laughs> you used to walk by my office singing. So sorry, um, Catigan.
2: Here um,
3: My office was adjacent to. We had two sets of stages in the building. And so the bathrooms for stage two were on the other side of my office. So everybody had to walk by my office to go to the bathroom. So all of the everybody would walk by my office. And Mandy had, classically, he loved to have a um, music stand. He always insisted on a music stand. So in front of his director's chair, he would have a music stand so he could put a script on it. And that was how he worked, which I thought was just so classy. And um, he would warm up working on his lines, but he would also vocally warm up and he would sing as he walked. And so if they were on stage two, he would walk past my office singing. And it was just the fangirl in me, you know, the 14-year-old me was just so absolutely thrilled to have him walking by my office singing, you know, a couple times a week. <laughs> what a phenomenal experience.
2: And <laughs> well, you know, uh, Mandy is just such a great... Um, human being he's very um he's very uh compassionate um strong advocate for social justice works with trying to help immigrants and refugees um and And uh, animals and animals Mm -hmm. and uh because of his time of living in north carolina with homeland he's actually continued to remain very um uh, very active in trying to help uh Similar minded people get elected in North Carolina. And, like, you know, during the last big political campaign, he did a number of Zooms to help uh, candidates that he supported in North Carolina. And um, during the pandemic, he and his wife, Catherine Grody, actually became big hits on TikTok uh, thanks to their son, Gideon, who would film them doing bits around the house. I've uh, seen
3: some of those,
2: yeah. Totally check that out. All
3: right, so you have to shut us up when we talk too much, but funny story here. So the abbreviated version is Mandy fell in love with a chair at the Relax Relax the Back store, and so I helped to organize him having one on the set, and he also wanted one for his trailer, so he got them. And then when the show moved from Charlotte to, I think they went to New York next? Yeah, uh, Virginia. I sorry, Germany. I can't remember. Is it Germany? Germany. Yeah. yeah, it season wasn't me. Four. That's all I know. It wasn't me. <laughs> um, obviously, they weren't going to take the chair from his office or his trailer. And he said, Could I have those chairs? And so it was after the season, everybody had gone, and the producer said, Sure. And so I went and disassembled the chairs and packed them into great big boxes. And Mandy sent me the, the credit card information to have them shipped to him. And then I talked to Gideon through assembling the chairs in their mountain home, which is where they do the TikTok videos. So when we watch the TikTok videos, it's like, oh, there's the chair. Oh, there's the chair. (laughs) Now we're
1: going to watch
2: for the chair, too. Right. And uh, if you uh, ever uh, watched um, Criminal Minds, when uh, Mandy was on it for the first season and a little bit second season, you remember his character's name was Gideon, and it was named after his son.
0: Oh! Wow, okay
1: Put that away for trivia night
0: (laughs) (laughs) We should have obscure
1: past episode trivia One of these nights after we have enough episodes (laughs) That'll be one of the questions
2: That's
0: right
1: Somebody write that down
0: So being a being prop masters and working through all these different uh, through all of these things, through theater, through episodic television, through all these different projects, what has inspired you the most creatively? Sleep. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. People always ask, you know, what's your favorite? What's your least favorite? And and as is often true, your least favorite is whatever you're working on at the moment because you're exhausted. <laughs> right. And you're fed up with the people, and as, I guess it's much like home birth. You know, you you get away, from, you get some distance, and you get some perspective on things, and then you're like, eh, it wasn't that bad. Um, I might miss them.
2: <laughs> yeah, the, people, the people
3: I miss, and and the the film and television is is a very strange business because you work with this group of people and even if you're doing episodic where you're doing the same where you're going back for season after season the people around you change and and it's not always the same group of people and so you you develop this you we're on set 12 14 hours a day i mean is there's a lot of hours with these people you spend more time with them than, than you do with your family by far and then the show ends and you just suddenly all disperse. And also, so often people are from various parts of the country. They, they literally disperse. They get on airplanes and leave. And some you may or may not see ever again. So it's a very weird way of living because you develop these really strong bonds that, of, with people that you're probably never going to see again. It's sort of like summer camp when you're a kid, but it's like multiple times a year, every year for the duration of your Career, and I completely forgot what the question was that
1: you asked. Oh, it was the inspiration.
3: <laughs>
2: it's coffee. 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 I, I get that. Coffee.
1: I think you know, the summer it, camp it, analogy is really good.
2: It, it's really, it's often people who want to collaborate, and yeah. um, film is and television recorded media is much different than uh, live events which are a lot more collaborative because one, you don't have a live event until you have an audience. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Whereas the recorded stuff has a lot more hierarchy to it, much like the military. And usually a director is at the top of that. Sometimes it's a producer, sometimes it's a star depending on the vehicle for someone. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a lot of top down often, but when you have... um, when you have other artists who want to collaborate with someone that makes it exciting. I mean, it's often, um, you know, I produced in theater and, and, and directed in theater and, and it's a whole different energy because, um, often in, in film and television, you always realize there's someone who ultimately can have a different opinion than what you have and it can change everything. And sometimes it's the head of a network who decides that you're not going to kill off a character. Sometimes it is, um, uh, it is uh, another producer who decides they want to make a change or a writer or a director or an actor who feels very strongly about something and you have to make a big shift. Or on a commercial, it can be the assistant of someone at the ad agency who says, wow, that's a weird color. Why are we using that? And all of a sudden, everything's in a tailspin,
3: yeah. you know? On the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Those are their own So, so And uh, we didn't really do a good intro of what we do, so.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. We both- I keep getting interrupted on that. <laughs> <laughs> we,
3: we have both been in, in, we both came from theater. We've both been doing film production one way or another for 25 years. Um, and... I work primarily as a prop master in feature films and TV. And I work as a production designer slash art director, depending on who you're talking to and what they call it, in commercials, music videos, um, print shoots, that kind of thing. Douglas also does all of that, but we also often work together. And so I'll be the person doing the prep end of things, and he'll be the person on set doing the... Keeping people happy because that's he's really good at that, <laughs> and so uh, so as we when we tag team back and forth, that helps give you a little context that we actually work together, we live together, work together twenty four seven, and we are still married twenty five years later. Um, so <laughs> he's like,
1: <laughs> "Yep, applaud, applaud."
2: Sometimes it does make for interesting discussions on the ride home in the car about how horrible your boss was that day, but. Um yeah. I was yeah. going
1: to ask about some of the great things or challenges about working on projects together.
2: The, I think the biggest challenge is sometimes it's um hard mm-hmm. to find an off switch because yeah. um which is great for production but it's sometimes bad because one or both of us may still, you know, it's like there's still stuff we have to do and it's hard sometimes to find a balance and Sometimes it's better when we're working on different things because, um, you know, everything is not such a major event, you know, because um, when one of us is at home versus one of us is working on a job, it's like, you know, you start talking about how something's really tough at work and and then you have the other person going, yeah. Well, I had to take the cat into the vet today. And uh, hmm.
3: so you can also get a different perspective when yeah. we're on different jobs. Yeah. And it's not personal. Yeah. Whereas when we're both working on the same job, everything is personal. Yeah. Right. Good or bad. Um, and like he was saying, if we're working on a job together, we are basically on the clock 24-7. Because we're not just at home. We're at home talking about the job did you find that did you order that did that come in did you buy that did where is that did you put that away did you clean that it's constant you know the weekends are spent well we might go to the grocery store for us but it's like oh wait we've got a list of things for the show too let's do that while we're here and there's nobody to tell us not to because both of us will benefit yeah. from the fact that we're right. going to take care of it off the clock right. so uh um and it we have had our moments on set we've never like pull right out screamed at each other, but we have had our moments and not on set. I should say we're very good about people on set. Generally don't even know that we're a couple, but on the truck or in the office or just with our crew, there are certainly moments where the tension builds and we know how to push each other's buttons. And so we, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And you know, the, um, the hard thing sometimes is just, um, I think all artists have this problem sometimes. Some people, it's work, right? Some people, it's just a job. And um, but when you care passionately about the what you're doing, and also when you have like other people that you're responsible for, you're you're concerned about making sure they have the resources they need, and also. The tools they need to be successful, and when you're you're balancing those things with budgets and having to advocate for them and make sure they have what they need, you know it 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 becomes a lot because you're not just it's not just creating the prop or designing the commercial, it's you know HR at the same time it's it's resource allocation and budget management and you know that's its own sort of creativity in and of itself. Um, and you don't always get that immediate satisfaction of seeing a project. We did this um, uh, great commercial for um, Goodyear starring uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. called "Made," and you know, to be honest, it was just an incredible commercial to read. And uh, the uh, uh, Malloy Brothers uh, directed the commercial, and um, it was it was kind of hard to do because we had to do a lot of work in a short amount of time, and. We did it at a, a smaller track that no longer exists. Um, but the emotional beats of that commercial, it's, it was rated as the most popular commercial in the history of Goodyear. Um, and when you watch it, you just feel that sense of uh, sort of, um, I don't want to say pride, but just sort of fulfillment of having been a part of something that means so much to so many people. Um, and, you know, it was, it was a well written commercial. But all the elements we did because, you know, it's, um, well, here's the kind of story of what it is. It's it's called Made. You can Google it. Um, and um, it's about how Dale Earnhardt Jr. was made, you know, how he was molded. And at the same time, it was about how tires are made and molded. Mm. But we
3: were not allowed to go into a tire factory to shoot such a thing.
2: Even though there's one very close to Charlotte because Goodyear didn't want to show off the proprietary information uh, about making tires. So Jillian really had to design something about... To do
3: little close-up shots that showed important details without showing what was around it because we couldn't see what was around it. Right. But we still had to have the steam. We still had to have the spinning. We still had to have the parts to make it look like it was in the factory.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of funny, but then when you saw the commercial in its totality, uh, and um, Emmett and Brandon Malloy, they're, they're great storytellers, and they're brothers, and um, <laughs> we've worked with them a couple of times now. We did a, a, a great barbara commercial uh, with Jimmy Johnson, which was his first commercial when he switched over to Formula One, which was a really kind of um, emotional commercial because it was him walking down a starting line at Charlotte Motor Speedway, seeing himself in different phases from racing on a dirt bike all the way up to NASCAR and then the Formula One car, looking at younger versions of himself. And, um, you know, the Malloys, uh, even though they're brothers, sometimes they disagree with each other. And when we did made, um, they actually had some disagreements going on, and because they're co-directing, you're like, who should we listen to? They
3: were fighting at one point, and I said, and I interrupted with some piece of information about, the, and they're like, do not interrupt us while we're fighting. I'm like,
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> and To their credit, and they came back, and yes. Um, yes. and we did this commercial with them in twenty. 21 uh for uh, jimmy johnson uh one of the first things they did was apologize yeah. to us for that experience because they said you know that was a really tough time they had some other things going on but they apologized to us and good on them you know for actually remembering that mm-hmm. um because you know you let it go people had bad days and you just kind of have to let it go and move on and whatever and um but they're they were great storytellers and they do incredible uh pieces and When you get to make a commercial like that, it's 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 amazing whether it's 30 seconds or a minute where you can tell an incredible, compelling story. um, It kind of remember it reminds you why you're doing it, you know.
1: Absolutely.
0: Uh, I think one of the things that having heard you tell all these stories is. Um, how well you you really play off of each other. I know you mentioned you've had maybe some moments with each other, but to still be together after 25 years, I I have to take a moment to just kind of applaud that, and I find that incredibly beautiful. Um, so congratulations to you both.
2: Yay. And it's kind of funny because in the background, you keep seeing us look around because our cats are, like, chasing each other and, like, look <laughs> up to each other and just, like, start doing the little thing right there. <laughs>
3: They're our babies, so they help. They're very they helpful. They're very helpful. Yes, super helpful. Well, we we are we are very lucky because a lot of people say, "How can you work together? How can you do that?" You know, I'm I can't wait to go to work to get away from my spouse. And you know, as everybody does, we have our moments, but but we're very lucky that we can do that and we can get along. And and then you know the moment comes and the moment goes and we're back to working together and living together and doing our thing
2: and you know I just saw the question pop up from archer 33x asking do you have any thoughts comments on the recent alec baldwin tragedy mm-hmm. on second considering there's a lot of conversation around the crop. yeah we have a lot of thoughts about that um <laughs> but um one of the things i'm going to say is um uh, a number of years ago there was a an earlier incident that happened in savannah on the um set of the movie midnight rider which is a story about the Almond brothers and jillian had gotten a call to be the prop master on that film she was production designer commercial she got the call and uh, she was at lunch with her crew and um someone had just worked with uh randall miller the director and uh, the people attached to it and they told her it's like you don't want to do that you really don't want to do that I just did a movie with them called cbgb and savannah and they, they don't
3: get permits and they hire people who aren't qualified and they use PAs where they should be using qualified crew. And and I was like, and I came home and told him about the call. He's like, you got to do it. It's the Allman Brothers. And I'm like, my mm, gut's telling me no. Uh, mm, no.
2: Well, and I told her, you know, you should call around. I said, it sounds exciting. It sounds really cool. And um, so she, you know, she made some phone calls. And, you know, you want to do your due diligence. And she talked to some other people, and they all said, no, mm-hmm. uh, you shouldn't do this. And um, what happened was on day zero, it wasn't even the first day of filming on the, uh, the project. We're was calling it
3: camera tests, camera which is test. BS because it was actually scripted scenes.
2: Um, they shot on a railroad track in which they didn't have permission to be there. and uh, On a trestle. On a trestle. Over a valley. They had a bed on a trestle and a camera, and um, they uh, unfortunately did not have permission to be there. But in film, I was talking about how it works like a hierarchy. If people say, hey, we're going to do this, there's a certain amount of trust you have to have. You believe that the location's manager has gotten the permission, that the producers wouldn't put you in an unsafe situation, that the director wouldn't knowingly endanger a crew, which all were live in this case. And uh, unfortunately, a train came across production and there was just no warning and uh, there were a number of people injured and our friend Sarah Jones was killed. Oh. And so um, what a lot of people, that was kind of a rallying cry in the industry called Safety for Sarah, SOS. Um, Jillian knew Sarah and worked with Sarah on uh, Season Wives. 5 of Army Wives. And we always say, you know, Sarah Jones wasn't you know, just someone we talk about, Sarah Jones was an actual person that we know who should still be alive. And so when it comes to a situation like Rust, um, you know, there are protocols in place in which an armorer should always have possession of the weapons unless they're handing them off to the actor. Um, You're not sure why the first assistant or director Took the weapon, presented it to the actor, and you know, there's been a lot of And strange, now we're getting
3: conflicting yeah. stories, so it so the to to answer to answer the question without saying anything that we don't know firsthand is for that to have happened, multiple, multiple things had to have gone wrong. Multiple people had to have not done all of the safety and security checks that they should have done up and down the food chain and the you know there's always such a push to find the culprit and the reality is there were multiple people along that line that could have stopped that from happening and the thing is we never know rarely know when an accident is prevented because it doesn't happen right. there are millions of blanks fired on smoothie sets around the world every year and nothing goes wrong mm-hmm. but when something does go wrong, we find out about it, and so we will hopefully find out what happened. I I per- know what my personal views are based on what I know from the everything that the same people that all of you have read, but um, generally, weapons on set are safe if they're handled properly.
2: And there are a lot of protocols that have already been established in terms of how they're supposed to be handled, how they're supposed to be displayed to the crew, why these sort of things shouldn't happen. And, yes, as Schoen said, you know, show after show after show has these things happen um, or have these these stunts uh, happen without any incidents whatsoever. I mean, you do hear from time to time that a stunt has gone bad, not involving a weapon, but just a stunt itself. Um, We sometimes forget that sometimes – actors put themselves in danger. You know, um, Tom Cruise on on uh, one of his most recent Mission Impossible movies, you know, the film had that go on a hiatus because he had an injury because he was doing his own stuff. These are serious things that happen sometimes. And, and you know, unfortunately, it does affect the livelihood of a lot of people. So, you know, um, you know our hearts go out to all the people who were impacted on the, the production of Rust because – we forget that it's not just the loss of life uh, and, and the injury to the, you know, the loss of life to the director of photography and the injury to the director. But um, to be honest, I, I would believe that all of the crew would be out of a job, you know, because I don't believe that the production paid the crew, you know, and also they have to go through that traumatic experience, um, which is really hard to, um, a crew to have to deal with that and process that as you would with any loss of life but maybe more so as Julian was talking about earlier in terms of that sort of bonding that you have with any sort of production whether it's film TV or or live entertainment you spend a lot of time with those people they become your family for while you're together and so you just don't see that happening
1: yeah like that becomes your summer camp family. Yeah. You Mm -hmm. said, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yikes. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) Well, you know, it's, I know it's, it's, it sounds like kind of a downer, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a very, um, somber reminder. You know, we, we saw, unfortunately, um, during the pandemic, uh, live entertainment shut down. Um, as you know, it wasn't, really safe to put people in enclosed venues and um and have them together when there's so much uh, opportunity to spread with COVID. and you know it certainly had a huge impact on people's livelihoods and their career it helped some people decide to uh, change what they were doing or what they wanted out of life and um you know we sometimes it's very easy to take these opportunities for granted Um, you know, but things can change on a dime and it's not just an entertainment. We know it happens in other industries as well. Um, but you know, it, we're often very fortunate to do the kind of things we can do and have the life we do have. And, um, sometimes we just need to be reminded how fortunate we are.
1: Yeah. Well, think. Speaking of changing things on a dime, what is the one phone call you would love to receive regarding a dream you have? or dream project even, or just the one phone call that you would love to receive?
3: (laughs) That I won the lottery? (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: Well, you know, it's funny because Jillian kind of got that. um, Jillian kind of got that with Walking Dead. She literally. Yeah.
3: Yeah. um, I had been a fan, watched episode one on the day it broadcast watched every episode for season after season every week. I was a true fan and I got the call when I was actually on another project. I had taken over for a prop master who had stepped off a project and actually someone I had worked with on Homeland said, we need you. And so I went to Pittsburgh and he came to Pittsburgh with me and we were doing a show called gone with Chris Noth and Danny Pino and
2: uh, living.
3: Yeah. And um, I got a phone call. We need a prop master. Are you interested? And it started this conversation. And I'm like, this is a joke. You know, they've got a list of people. They have to call a hundred people before they can hire the guy from LA that they want. And I get it. Blah 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 blah. I've got. You know, I've been there before. And the calls kept coming and I kept moving through the system. And I'm starting to think, wait a minute, they're actually really actually talking to me as me and not just a name on a list. And uh, I remember sitting in the parking lot of a Staples store talking to the showrunner, And he and I had a great conversation. And at the end he said, well, you know, I think we're gonna be a good fit because I thought this is gonna be a, con- a five minute conversation. We've been on the phone for half an hour. And so, um, yeah, that was the phone call where it was like it was it was literally, literally, truly pinching myself. It's like, did that just happen? Did that really just happen? Am I really actually in the running for the that was sort of the moment where it was like, this could actually be a thing. And he was the last phone call before before I got the offer. And so, yeah, that was that was the dream phone
2: call. And that was with Scott Gimple, it was, uh, who was the showrunner of the show at the time. He made all the yeah. chief decisions. And, and, you know, the, the weird thing was um, uh, only a few people with our show that we were doing in Pittsburgh knew why she was leaving early because she couldn't talk about it. I wasn't it allowed to God. talk
3: about it. I had all these NDAs and all these things I couldn't talk about and all of this. Yeah.
2: And, uh, you know, you talk about um, uh, sometimes the things you give up. Um, that was, um, when she had to leave, it was actually right before my 50th birthday. And I had a party planned in Charlotte, which we were going to come back for, but, um, I'd actually canceled it because I had known, um, a few weeks in advance that she was going to be going to walking dead. And, um, I couldn't tell anyone why I was canceling the party. Yes. We told them that was funny. I couldn't. There, and she, you know, the NDA was really strong, much like, you know, with a Marvel film yeah. or Star store. Sure.
1: Well, there was a lot of secrecy around that show. F-
2: yeah.
3: For
1: I mean, I, I was not
3: allowed, not allowed to post on Facebook where I was going, what I was doing. I mean, I, I finally asked permission, and they yeah. said yes, you know, when I'd been there for a while, that I was allowed to post where I was and what I was doing. I mean,
2: back but, back in those days, it was the number one show on television. at yeah. like 17-plus million viewers a week, and, you know, yeah. so – like, you get
3: how, how wait me how did that happen that's so cool
1: I
2: and love it,
3: that story <laughs> and it it is exactly how these things happen your name sort of filters through people who have worked with you say good things about you and it just sort of you know bubbles up and I knew the prop master that was leaving and so that helped too because he could speak well of me and you and I already had a relationship so he could help with the transition it was just yeah it was remarkable just truly remarkable i will say one of the heartbreaks of my career though was that i had put my name in the hat for stranger things and i had a few conversations but i they are they already had somebody basically that they wanted which is very often the case you know that, again they do have to talk to multiple people sure. The person they want and that one that one hurt because I, I was like I'm gonna go from Walking Dead to something else. It would be Stranger Things. That would be really cool. That yeah, didn't happen. Yeah, that. that's okay. But then I watch the show and I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't have to do that. I so <laughs> I to do that. Oh, I didn't have to find that. Okay.
0: <laughs> so, Douglas, what a what about you? What's the what's the dream project for you?
2: Hmm. That's a bigger question. That's a, yeah, it's a bigger question. You know, I, I've spent time in uh, film and television, um, uh, live entertainment as well. And you know, I've I've gotten to do a lot of cool things over the years. You know, when I was at uh, Blumenthal Performing Arts as vice president of programming, I, you know, I got to not only present Broadway shows and produce local productions, but you know, I got to bring in some really cool people like Ellis Costello and and David Byrne and St. Vincent. And, you know, it's weird how sometimes those weird connections and one time you think one-off things just aren't going to go anywhere, you know, but, you know, David Byrne um, keeps popping up in my life. And, you know, like before the 2016 election, um, out of the blue, I find out he's coming to North Carolina to do a bike rally and um, he wanted to get people out to vote. And, I reached out to the person who was organized and I was like, wait a minute, is this David Byrne, David Byrne? They're like, yeah, we can't get anyone to take this seriously, you know? And so I was able to pull some, you know, some favors and get people to give it some media attention. And, um, because no one had really interacted with David Byrne before, except me, I was interacting with David and, and, um, you know, David is one of my muses and just, you know, I think his creativity is fantastic. And, um, it was really funny because, uh, I had seen uh, his uh, current show, current tour, American Utopia, when it came through Charlotte. But we got to see, it was actually the last Broadway we saw before uh, the pandemic shut things down in 2020. And um, we lucked in the tickets because it was the last weekend. They were going to close the show and bring it back in the fall, but no one knew they were going to bring it back in the fall. And uh, there were a number of producers who were friends of mine that I had tried to reach out to to get tickets, and we lucked into tickets at the last minute, and, and they were just inundated with requests for um, for people trying to get in to see the show. We lucked into tickets at the last minute. It was Valentine's weekend of 2020, and um, David actually tells the story of coming to Charlotte to do the bike ride and uh, to get people out to vote, and. Um, And then after the show, we actually got to see David. We ran into David, which was kind of funny. And um, um, that was kind of one of those really surreal moments where you see it all coming back around. But, you know, um, what I admire about David is him using his platform to try and get more people involved. And, you know, for me personally, that's kind of where I am. It's one of, how do we utilize the platforms that we have to get people more engaged to make sure they they find their voice as part of democracy, that they don't have that taken away from them? Um, How do we make them feel like there's a reason to be engaged? And we certainly know that over the last couple of years, um, we've seen the rise of not just, you know, a world in which we seem to kind of isolate ourselves even more, but people wanting to be more connected and finding ways to connect with, um people not only here in this country but in other countries and trying to understand that we're all part of one world and how do we how do we use entertainment, how do we use the arts, how do we use that to bring people together as opposed to, you know, just make money. And and I think there are ways to do that. And that's kind of that's kind of what I want to focus on. <laughs> Is that vague enough for wow, you? Wow,
1: I was gonna say <laughs> It's quite a higher calling, however. Yeah.
2: Which is another way of saying I'm working on things I can't talk about right now.
1: (laughs) This is part of that whole world domination plan. I know. I get it. (laughs) I
2: I prefer to think of it as world democracy, but we'll go with that. (laughs) One step at a time. (laughs) If we have to force you to have democracy, we will. That's right. (laughs)
1: So, where's your, where's your creativity taking you now? Is that part of what you're doing now, or do you have other?
2: You know, I just finished a, a rom com for Amazon, um, which called uh, the other Zoe. The other Zoe. The other was,
1: Zoe. Okay. Yeah. Z o e y.
2: Z o e y. Right. Uh, although it was initially Z o e and then changed right before we started shooting. And he showing. had to print
3: the chair backs, which he has for some reason are also props. And yeah, it's kind of weird. He's like, is it Zoe or Zoe? I gotta know.
2: um but the cooler heads prevailed and went with the why because the why is funny right um and um so uh that'll be on amazon and you know it's a a great cast with some international performers it's josephine langford from australia my fellow leo who has a birthday day after mine um drew starkey uh who i've worked with uh not only on uh, season one of outer banks but also uh a show called shots fired which shot here in charlotte uh archie uh wow archie's name just went out of my head from shadow and bone Um, oh yeah no yeah sorry um uh and also got to you know have some fun people uh come play with us like patrick fabian from um uh let's call uh, better call saul and uh heather graham uh uh, from boogie nights and uh uh, austin powers and of course uh andy mcdowell um from all kinds of great shows
3: including one of my favorites
2: (laughs) magic mike xxl oh yes the prop master for i got
3: to be the prop master on magic mike xxl and so of course you know i'm five two and you know there's all these guys and uh, you know and i'm telling them
1: that's a good way to describe magic mike xxl as a whole i think (laughs) there's all these guys
3: guys. and i don't think i'm speaking out of out of turn to say i have never heard a group of men discuss hair removal and diet plans (laughs) as much as i heard these guys talking about this okay you ever saw the movie, you know, we're riding around in that van, in the the, um, frozen yogurt truck all the time. Note, when we are in the frozen yogurt truck, if there is a prop working, if it's a frying pan or a case of Molly or anything, when we're shooting back towards the back of the van, I am probably sitting behind the frozen yogurt machine. That was my spot because we didn't have enough time to, like, pull over, stop, get out, reset, blah, 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 blah. So I'm hiding back there so that between takes, while we're still driving, I'm resetting stuff and going back and hiding behind the frozen yogurt machine while we roll. Wow. Some interesting things about, you know, are you doing intermittent fasting? Are you doing high protein? Are you waxing? Are you plucking? Are you doing <laughs> air? What kind of tanner do you use? Are they very vain? Well, they had to be for this. Sure. So they, okay. Yeah. No, they had to be basically naked for big chunks of the show. And so they were const- they were constantly thinking about it. And they, I mean I they they had a, a a trailer that traveled with us that was a gym so that they could work out, which makes complete sense. Again, like I said, you're spending twelve or fourteen hours a day on set. So they had a place to go and work out when they weren't on camera. And they, they, I will say they were all wonderful, sweet, lovely people. I loved every one of those guys. They were all wonderful. And I would work with any one of them. Again, there wasn't one person in that group that I wouldn't work with again. And, and that was a really amazing experience to get to work on for that reason too, because it's rare that you work on a show where to a person, everyone that you work with is the one you would work with again. That's awesome.
2: So um, I can tell a funny. I can tell a funny story, and you'll appreciate this because uh, the production designer uh, <laughs> was Howard Cummings, who uh, not only does Westworld but does a lot of Steven Soderbergh's uh, projects. And um, uh, someone asked if Kevin Ash, the wrestler, was in that. He was in that, uh, mm-hmm. yes. Um, and um, Howard was um, trying to find a very particular. Um, it was a set dressing piece because it's attached to something, but he was having trouble finding it in Savannah. And well, he, he said it out loud. Um, he said and to Jillian, he said, I'm looking for a
3: sex swing. Like we need a sex swing and we're in this building where we can't tie into the ceiling and we're not in there long enough that we can build something structural to hang it from. And I'm trying to figure out how we're going to do this because Joe Maganello had a dance on a sex swing. And I said, oh, you can buy portable sex swings. I visibly watched his jaw drop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm 5'2. I'm but, this little girl. People think of me as his little mistress. And, and.
2: if you need a portable sex swing? I could
3: tell you, you could buy a portable
1: She's sex your woman. Swing. Put that in your head for trivia night as well. <laughs>
3: So I then <laughs> had to proceed to buy multiple sex drinks because one had to be sent to L.A. for them to rehearse with before they came. <laughs> uh, with. I had to buy one to give to set dressing so that they could reinforce it so that it was strong enough to withstand take after take after take of this dance. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> so uh, so the funny story is, I did, I did not work on a Magic Mike XXL um, except in the periphery. But um, uh uh out of all the guys, the person that Jillian had the, um, just didn't connect with the most was Joe Maganella. And, um, you know, sometimes it's just you just have to find the right moment, the right opportunity. And, you know, sometimes it's hard finding connection, you know, because a lot of people are coming at, at you with, you know, you're trying to meet a lot of different people and stuff. And um, we were at the convention center in Savannah where they filmed the big finale of the, of the movie and um uh um, we were getting on an elevator i was visiting and they were doing the big competition stuff and i was walking out with jillian in the service elevator and carrying a box for it and right before the door closes joe Maganello just jumps on and um he's like hey hope you don't mind and he's like great it's like um you know, I knew that there was. Uh, she hadn't quite connected with him yet, and she introduced me to him. And it's like, well, I said, "It's great to meet you." Jillian tells me your number, and remember, this is the number with the sex swing in it. Your number is her favorite number out of all the ones the guys are doing. And he goes, "Well, that doesn't surprise me. It's the dirtiest." <laughs> that doesn't After that, surprise a great me. Thing.
0: um so i will admit it i had not seen magic mike xxl until very recently um so you both nodded at the same time Um,
1: (laughs) we know (laughs) we're tracking you (laughs) um
0: i it's it's just really funny to watch some of the some of the things and go oh yeah okay uh, okay, so I have friends that have done that. Oh, okay, so that's the sex swing that she was talking about. Oh, that's the thing that she was talking about. Which kind of leads me into when you, watch, mm-hmm. when you watch other movies or when you watch theater productions or when you're other things, how do you turn off your brain from going, oh, no, I would hate it's to do hard. that. It's really hard.
3: I know that something is really good if I stop thinking about How did they make that? How many takes did that take? You know, how did they do that? I'm glad I didn't have to do that. Oh, I wish I had gotten to do that. That's, that that is the sign to me. When I walk out of a film and I realize that I have not been thinking about that, but we, it the pandemic has made it worse because we sit here with the remote control and so we can stop and go back. And look at it again. And talk about we, it more. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, that, that doesn't match. Yeah, <laughs> And we, we did it before, but it's even worse now because we, general, we haven't gone to a movie in three years, two years, two years. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's terrible. And even before I was really, either of us were really in the business just being in theater, I mean, my mother hated to go to movies with me. Because even if I didn't say anything, I would start squirming at moments. You know, I was like, mm, mm, mm. his collar, collar was in, you know.
2: <laughs> the hair was tucked. The hair was not tucked. What? Yeah. And, you know.
3: The cigarette was this long. The cigarette was this long. The cigarette was this long. The cigarette was this long.
2: And, and, and even though
3: I know yeah. exactly how those things happen and that the prop master or the on-set costumer probably had, Absolutely no control over that.
2: So let's you let's want to just, kill
3: the editor for choosing those moments.
2: But well, let's let's talk about why that happens sometimes, which go. is a good thing to you know. Yeah, yeah, I
3: think that's good.
1: Often,
2: yeah, uh, particularly like uh, let's say at meals, and you see like the liquid level go up and down. It's not because the no one's paying attention. The prop team isn't paying attention, but often it's because um, directors are more focused on the performance. And so they'll let a scene continue sometime and actors will drink something and it'll go down and go down more and they'll keep going. And then when they edit it together, they'll take, you know, a, uh, a master, which is the widest shot or a, you know, a wide shot and then a close up, and then coverage where they go in for the singles on the person. And the levels will change because sometimes – that shot a little out of sequence and the directors sometimes say it doesn't matter. I want the performance. I want them to or get take to that the,
3: line again. And they'll mm. go back and do the line before the sip again. So it yeah. just keeps changing
2: and then they, and they don't
3: want to let anybody interrupt the flow by coming in to reset it and, and fill the glass. And you know, you shoot, you, you might shoot. If you're shooting a dinner scene, you could sh- literally shoot that all day long. You could shoot that scene for 10 hours. And so in 10 hours, it's not all going to match. Not every take is going to match. Something's not going to get refilled, or they're going to drink at a different level, a different rate. And so when you see it all compressed into a 30 second scene, it's completely different. But it's it's uh, it's one of those things that, that at some point you have to just sort of agree to live with on set and mm. do everything you can to prevent it. But it is it is terribly annoying even when you're on set and watching it happen because you can see what's happening the director's going to use that take and it didn't match they picked the glass up with the wrong hand and it's yep. not going to match mm-hmm. tell the script supervisor that it didn't match so they can put it in the notes but the director wants to move on and that's what we got and it's not going to match those are things
1: <laughs> i found i notice a lot too i was I was watching something last night and it was it was an episode of grim um and the there's a scene in the kitchen where there's this giant clock above the stove and it's big enough that you can very clearly see every notch between the numbers every single minute and they stand there talking for it's probably three, four act, three or four actual minutes of the the clock didn't move it was 7.04 for the entire scene <laughs> and it, I just noticed it because the clock was so big and so noticeable what those little like if they just used a smaller clock no one would have noticed
2: you know, you're you're right. I mean, and that's the funny thing is clocks are often stopped. You know, and clocks are kind of a tough thing because sure. they don't take the time for someone to reset the clock. And um, it's a hard thing because um, what we often try to, to you know, share with directors as fans of shows, it's when something is weird, it pulls you out of the moment. Mm-hmm. And while you're trying to maybe get a performance or an emotional moment, if um, if they're smoking the cigarette and it's long in one second, and then it's short in the next time you see them, but it's long again when you see them again, we know something's not right.
1: They're obviously chain smoking.
3: But it's distracting to the viewer. Yes. And even if they don't know what it is that's bothering them, they know something is off.
2: And the distraction pulls you out of the moment. And I think the fundamental rule that um, it's sometimes hard because it's like being in the eye of a hurricane for sometimes directors or producers to understand is they're so intent on capturing or trying to finish a scene or trying to capture that particular moment. And they're like, people won't pay attention. And then later they'll be like, huh. What were all those comments on social media last night when we had that, that Starbucks cup in Game of Thrones? <laughs> <Okay>. Right. <laughs> so we no love, one's going to
1: notice that.
2: <laughs> we know we know the Starbucks cup in Game of Thrones wasn't left there because there was far too many people who There watched. is no
3: way. That in, would
2: ever happen.
3: There's no way that that cup was left on there.
2: Ah, yes, and if the it F1's was, cup. someone
3: would have digitally erased it. They are digitally doing everything in that damn show. There but, is no way that that got left in. But
2: there. It wasn't an ingenious it ingenious? Got it, us all talking about it. That got you stopped talking about the plot holes in <laughs> the last season of Game of Thrones because you were talking about Starbucks, Scott.
0: Mm-hmm. It's almost like it's a conspiracy. Yeah.
2: yeah. So um, that has
3: great stories about um, a show that we did called Walker Payne, and. <laughs> Working with Sam Shepard, mm. who was a, a, a very important character in the show and didn't like to fly. And so he had just come back from the cons and was driving from New York to North Carolina. And he was showing up on the day that he was supposed to start shooting. So nobody had had any serious conversations with him about props and costumes and, and all of these things. He was just showing up on the day and you know ready to walk on set. And so he shows up and he has to have a costume fitting. He has to have a makeup test. He has to have a haircut. He has to get his props. All of, you know, all of this is happening sort of while camera is waiting for him to come. And the director, who is wonderful and amazing, had chosen some things for him to have like he had a pinky ring with a red stone in it. And Sam was like, I don't like red. It's bad luck. It's blood is bad luck. And the director said, "But look how good it looks with the green money because he was holding money all the time." And he he really brought Sam around the things that that would help him find his character, but he kept, Sam kept asking for things. One of the ways that props help people is it help people, helps people get into character. And Because really? he hadn't been there to really rehearse and work on the piece and work with the, actors, the other actors and work on the script and work with the director, he had props, has crutches. And so he kept asking for all these props. So he had a bracelet. He had a ring. He had a cigar. He had sunglasses. He had gum. He had money between his fingers. He had all of this stuff on him. So Douglas one day Douglas so, no,
2: well it was the first day. Yeah. Sam um uh the director was Matt Williams. Matt, who's an incredible writer and director. Uh, Matt uh was found by uh the Carsey Warner Company um back when he was just a theater writer and they brought him in as a writer on Cosby and he You just uh, said just theater writer. He was just a theater writer <laughs> before he became a film writer, but um and in television right but he co-created uh home improvement and roseanne um and he still gets credit for creating the characters on the Connors. um so he understands characters really well and um he was just such a great director in terms of molding um the actors into getting the performances that he needed to tell you know to tell a story i mean a film is a director's vision in television uh, a series is really a showrunner's vision, and there's a big difference in between the two. But with Sam Shepard, Sam is, was such, um, even though some people know him only as an actor in film and television, um, he is an incredible playwright, you know, having written things like True West. Um, he is an incredible creator in and of his own accord. And so when you have uh, an intimidating presence like Sam Shepard come in, just kind of like bulldozing in with, you know, man, I got all these ideas and he should have money in between his fingers because that's what I saw in uh, in London. They do that in London and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, um, wow, that's a lot of stuff to handle, Sam Shepard. And um, so Sam, uh, we start the scenes and uh, Sam is basically uh, running a dog uh, fight ring and he's taking bets on the dog fights. And um, so he's got all this stuff, you know, as Julian said, he's got a cigar, he's got the sunglasses, he's got the ring, he's got gum, he's got, you know, he's got dollar bills in between. He want, wants to hold the money in between his hands. It's And so, you know, we don't finish the entire scene before lunch. We go to lunch, we come back, and then you have to get them all propped up again. he goes, why the hell have I got all these props to deal with? And I just looked at him, and I was like, don't you even start, Sam (laughs) Shepard. You ask for him, you got (laughs)
0: know, And
2: and he just started laughing, which was great because, you know, he had a sense of humor. And that's great when you have an actor who um, sometimes bites off more than they can chew Because the hard thing that sometimes people forget, particularly with props in film and television, is that you have to do the scenes over and over again. And so this is a constant battle we have with things like like backpacks and luggage and computer bags is you wanna have weight in them, but you have to be cognizant of the fact that an actor may do the scene over and over and over again. And it can be a little tiring sometimes for them to be doing that. And so you'll have some directors who will be like, I want to make sure that bag's heavy for them. And you're like, okay. By
3: the time you get to take 30, their arm is going to be. The actor's like, (laughs) why is
2: this bag so heavy? And you're like. (laughs) (laughs) That (laughs) That way. (laughs) I um, can take that out of your bag. You want me to take it out of your bag?
3: I can help you. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah,
2: That's
1: right. I'm sure you never have played any practical jokes on set. Douglas, I see you doing that.
2: I, actually, no. Actually, and here's why. Um, um, I've never played any practical jokes on the actors because I, I think very strongly you have to have that trust. Um, okay, I see that. I have, I have done things where we've had the actors in on stuff to do like um, uh, jokes on like crew, like uh, directors and assistant directors and things like that. And, and that can be a lot of fun. Like on uh, Gone, which was a Chris Knott series, uh, we had a, a great AD who it was his birthday. And um, there was a moment where they kind of like want to light up all the screens in the, in the command center. And we had images of him in Hawaiian shirts all over the place, you know, um, that was kind of fun, but it was just for the crew, you know, Okay. Um, uh, I will tell a funny story, uh, uh, for Jillian. Um, is it, uh, on magic Mike XXL Channing uh, Tatum would often reset his props in not the same way. And the thing is, we always try to help actors, um, whether we're handing them or having a crew hand them to them. We try to give them to them the exact same way so that when they carry them onto frame, they're facing the same way. Because if you're watching an actor like this, and then you're watching an actor later on do this, again, it's that thing that pulls your eye away from you. And uh, you know, you're know, you like, what, what's different? It feels like it's just a little thing, but sometimes the straps on a backpack can be facing in a different direction, or they could be carrying it on the wrong um, shoulder, or uh, consistency is absolutely right, yes. Um, uh but um one day um she had to keep resetting chanting stuff and she noticed that he would change it right before he went and just
3: to freak me out yeah to freak me out, that was the purpose and he's like oh it's just for fun and i'm like but if you don't change it back it makes me look like i'm not doing my job and he didn't do it again and it wasn't in a mean way it was it was it, i Saw a recognition that it's like oh it's not just fun and games it's like if he misses it if he forgets to switch it back the point of stressing me out and playing games with me is was not worth making me look foolish because someone found the Easter egg of it being wrong
2: well and and right. you know it does sound fun but at the same time um, we live in a world with HD you know and on demand and people can slow things down and and a lot of times people will try to read things into um, things that aren't right. And you're like, no, no, no. It was just a mistake. Or, you know what, they went with the wrong take. Or whatever. Or sometimes they reshoot scenes. and or that, a
3: different unit shoots it.
2: Yeah, a different mm-hmm. unit shoots it. Or they reshoot it later because they realize they're missing something in the edit later. Because and they have to go back and reshoot it. And sometimes, use use it. sometimes it's not the same. And, go back. and
3: sometimes things are shot days weeks months even years apart which is something that a lot of people don't understand is that is that things may not cut together as as smoothly as you want them to and sometimes it's because it, this actor is only available this day and this actor is only available this way day we had to put all their stuff together and all their stuff together and this was at the beginning of the shoot and this is at the end of the shoot and you know there's chemistry missing well it's because the other person was missing from the scene they literally weren't there, you know, and um, and we, of course, as I'm sure all of you know by now, we do not shoot things in order. So we may be shooting the last scene of the movie on the first day and vice versa. And so the actors really have to pull themselves back and forth and back and forth between where they are from, from one scene to the next. Because also sometimes, as Douglas mentioned, we will block shoot an episode where or multiple episodes and so you may be shooting scenes in the same room from multiple different episodes that are supposed to be happening in multiple different times of the story arc and out of order with different people and so the, the the pressures that are on an actor to play the all of those emotions and keep all of it straight and then for the cast and, or for the crew and, and the, the lighting people and the camera people and the costume people and everybody else to get every single detail, right. It is this enormous jug- jigsaw puzzle. And I am still shocked when I see something come out that all the pieces came together because we are just such a crazy band of circus players that all show up some of us have never met each other before. And yet we all show up, 150 people show up with dozens of trucks and we all pour out of our vehicles and start doing our thing. And it happens, it just happens. And it's a lot of planning and a lot of people and a lot of coordination. And, and the, the, the sort of ironic part of it is is that the thing that you notice when, you know, the thing is here, the thing is here, the thing is here, the thing is here is the least of anybody's worries (laughs) when you're actually shooting on the day because all of those other things are so big and and monumental. And then the little things that we end up picking up on on the day when we're watching something with the cigarette changing are like, nobody cares when you're there on the day in a lot of ways because so many other things are so important and so
2: challenging. you're just trying to finish and get an actor shot out or you're trying, you're battling sunlight going down. Yeah, The sun's going
3: down or it's about to rain or it just rained and we only have five minutes before the next storm comes in or there's a lightning strike and we have to shut down. And it's just the, the number of things that impact production are so enormous. It really is just shocking sometimes that we ever get things finished.
2: (laughs) You know, we were, um, uh, there was a series we were on in which, um, uh, some uh, some kids were breaking into like an impound lot and they were supposed to be attacked by a dog and uh, we'd shot the first part of the morning pretty well and then we got to the point where they brought the dog over and the director says, so um, what's the cue for the dog to attack this character? And the dog handler said, well, this dog doesn't do that. And um, there was a lot of, people looking around going it's in the script that's what they do but it hadn't been communicated to the dog handler they didn't get the script it hadn't been communicated to the dog handler that the reason the dog was there it was supposed to be trained to attack a character he thought it was just supposed to bark it was just supposed to bark which a dog was competent enough to do but we you know like okay well let's try and shoot some other stuff and They were the handler went to work with the dog to try and reorient it to give it the commands it needed to, you know, attack the character. And um, by the time we got back to it, we broke for lunch. Then it started raining during lunch, and then it rained for like four hours. We never shot those scenes. Um, So we lost really most of the day because of that one little thing. And they had to reshoot it in a completely different place later. Um, with a completely different dog handler. And, <laughs> um, you know, it was just, it It adds a lot of stress and it adds, you know, a lot of overhead to the production because, you know, they certainly weren't planning to pay that production crew to come back and shoot something all over again, you know, so. Sorry,
1: little dog, you were fired.
2: <laughs> yeah. you know, the dog did exactly what it was that, the, the trainer did exactly the same thing. One of the first tv movies we did um the julian prop master knows assistant prop master was a uh, uh a peabody award-winning film called having our say which was, based, was actually
3: my first prop master gig right
2: yeah. uh, as on a film side yeah mm-hmm. uh it was a um cbs uh film it won the peabody award it had um diane carroll and ruby d as the stars uh it had a little-known actress who won, I think, two or three Tony Awards. By that point, um, um Audrey McDonald. Audrey McDonald. Uh, it had an incredible supporting cast in it, and uh, one of the scenes because it covered yes. it covered um, mm-hmm. uh, covered a hundred years of the Delaney sisters. There was a scene of the girls um, as little girls and their father out uh, uh, making food for them by shooting a squirrel. And Jillian had to interact with the animal wrangler and he had to bring the squirrel and the squirrel was supposed to be up in the tree and on command, drop out of the tree. Well, how do you think that went? Yeah, (laughs) it's funny. I kind of sometimes want a job as an animal wrangler because it never goes as well as you think. It's gonna go. There are a few. I, I take that back. There are a few. Uh, there are a few animal wranglers who do. Uh, Sarah Clifford does a great job. Um, Bill Berlanti, who uh, has for years done like uh, the dog uh, and uh, Annie the musical, and done a bunch of stage stuff and film stuff too. The Max people were really good. The Max people, uh, film that Jillian worked on, they were great. Um, but a lot of times, it's just you're having to manage animals. We did this great international paper commercial, which Yay! was supposed to have scene set in New Zealand and there is a, a sheepdog that was supposed to move the sheep along and they brought in um, sheep wranglers sheep wranglers and they're like oh my gosh can you imagine what what secret they must have to train these sheep <laughs> and so we're talking to the wranglers and like so tell us tell us what the secret is and it's like oh, just watch us you'll see what we do and it was like some mystical thing. And so when it was time to move the sheep, they were just, they just slowly shh. moved their hands. And it's like,
3: shh, shh. they like, wait a minute, you're going to how much to do that? <laughs> <laughs> to go shh. <laughs>
2: our, uh, our, first, um, our first commercial with animals like that was, uh, <laughs> was an RCA uh, commercial when they sponsored a car in NASCAR. And they brought in nipper and chipper. Um, the, the RCA dogs, right? Which is an older Dalmatian and then like a puppy Dalmatian, right? And um, there was a race car driver who's long since retired named Kale Yarber, who is a star of the spot. And um, uh, Kale is like next door, grew up next door from my hometown or whatever. So that was a cool thing. But then it was like, we were just fascinated by what they were going to do with these dogs. And so um, Nipper, which is the older dog, is supposed to be sitting behind the wheel of the car and um, looked like he was like on Valium most of the time because he was kept almost going to sleep. And Chipper um, was a hyperactive dog that we found out. They had painted like, what, half dozen? I don't know. They
3: had a whole litter of puppies and they yeah. painted them all to match.
1: And, yeah.
2: and um, what painted? they wanted-
3: Did you say painted them?
2: Yeah, because you have to have matching dogs and they're not gonna naturally be matching dogs. So they were all painted to match
1: each other Interesting. each
2: other okay um you never know it's kind of like why when they shoot kids a lot of the times so they'll use twins because sure. they can only use them for a certain amount of hours but you also lose their attention span and so you have to kind of trade the kids in and out and whatever um and um i know mary kate and ashley olson for all those Full mm-hmm. House fans right um, that's
1: the big reference that everybody goes to i'm sure
2: absolutely um and uh, so uh, they needed Chipper to look out of the, the passenger side uh, and look at the camera. And, the, and one of the animals, they had like a team of animal wranglers. And, uh, you know, they had like Nipper and the half dozen Chippers. Um, they had a person sitting outside of the window and they're like, and action. And the person to get Chipper to look outside the window was like, chip, 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 chip. And the director is like, "What? What, what is he doing?" And and uh, the AD, the assistant director, was like, I, "I don't, I don't know." And it's like, find out what he's doing because I, we can't use any of this. And the guy is just like, "Chip, chip, 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 chip." And and the assistant director goes over to the animal wrangler and says. What are you doing? He's like, Well, you want the dog to look this way. So that's what I'm doing. I'm getting the dog to look this way. And he's like, But we're recording the dialogue at the same time. And he goes, Well, how do you expect me to get the dog to look this way if I don't call his name? And it was just like hilarious. It was just it was so funny. And the dogs would, you know, get kind of burned out, you know, because that little tails would start wagging and then it just kind of droop off, their energy would die and they would just trade one out, dog out and for another, another dog. In. Here's another puppy. It's another <laughs> chipper there. And it was just so hilarious. And we're like, wow, people make money doing this. That's mm-hmm. pretty good. You know, you have a way of, you know, the the last big animal thing I did was on uh, January 6th um, of last year, uh, we were doing a big uh, commercial uh, for uh, NASCAR on Fox. And, um, I was at a studio where um, last year NASCAR was going to Austin for the first time, and uh, they wanted to bring in a longhorn and shoot it in front of a green screen and impose it on something later. Mm -hmm. So about the time that the Capitol was being uh, uh, under attack uh, on the riots of January 6th, um, we're on a studio where the wranglers are trying to get a longhorn just to stand still long enough so they can shoot some film on it. And we're all on our phones going, huh, is the capital under siege? What's going on here? And there's this longhorn in the background where the wranglers are just trying to get the longhorn to stay still. And it's like, <laughs> what are we doing with our lives right now?
1: What are
3: we doing? I'll get you
2: I um, trained
1: some chipmunks over the summer. To climb That's into my hand, true. yeah. See, you can change. Train you, could, you
2: can be your own animal wrangler. I yeah.
1: think. I think this is my new calling. Uh, peace out, everyone. Nice. <laughs> <That's right. laughs>
2: That's it. You're gone. We're gonna go off. It. Someone needs a chipmunk.
1: Right. Right now, it's limited to chipmunks. Although, I have a friend who's teaching me to train or to to make friends with crows and maybe ravens. Yeah, very cool
3: we'll see that would be a handy skill
1: yeah i don't i don't know about training him yet but um <laughs> but i'm gonna work on friendship <laughs> we'll go start. from there
3: That's trust absolutely we want to have
1: her on the podcast at some point so we can talk about how to do this
2: come up are you gonna come up yep nope. oh, i thought <laughs> cappuccino was gonna come up she's like training mm-hmm. i can do training <laughs> she's like no
3: no i'm a cat i'm not listening you don't do have traits. there is no calling
1: right
2: she, she trains one of people kids. cats
3: train people
2: mm-hmm.
0: they do they truly do so for someone that's wanting to maybe go into theater or go into uh your line of work working on episodic television or wanting to do some sort of props in some sort of production what advice would you give them
3: The first thing I will say is volunteer for both. Um, In theater, there is going to be a community theater that needs your help. There is going to be a college that needs extra hands. There's going to be, there are going to be productions happening around you that need help. And there's always work to do in props and set deck and, and, Scenic elements. There's always going to be work to do. Nobody wants to do that work. I shouldn't say nobody Many people want to be on stage. They want to be directors. They want to be writers. They want to be Directors of photography. They want to do those things. They don't necessarily want to be doing the 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 groundwork and the reality is that's where most of the jobs are most of the jobs are below the line whether it be theater or film if you want to have a career and actually be able to earn a living and buy a house that's where you wanna be because there will be work. Um, and the same is true for film if you wanna get into the business is, is volunteer. There, if you've got a college or university in your area, they're making student films. They need help. They need people with resources. They need people who are willing to go knock on doors. They need people who are willing to go and stand on the street and tell people they can't walk down the street. Get in there and do it and meet people and tell them what you wanna do
2: um, and sometimes you don't know what you want to do. That's the yeah. other part about it, and that's why I like on commercials and um, shows. People often start as production assistants. Um, production assistants are generally not covered, are not a union craft covered position, uh, and so you work long hours for um, limited pay. Uh, but often, sometimes you make more money than you do in live entertainment. So. Um, you know, it's all kind of relative, but it's a good opportunity to figure out if you wanna work long hours, if you want, you know, or what other departments may be interested interesting to you, you know. Yeah,
3: because working as a PA, you get to meet everybody in every department and see what the difference is between a grip and an electric and what it means to be a dolly grip and what it means to work in the costume department, makeup, hair wardrobe, all of it. You start to see how all of it works and who all of those people are and how all of it fits together. Um, so in a, in addition to student films, there are very often film communities in towns. Um, it doesn't have to be a very big town to have a film community, to have people shooting stuff on the weekends, to be doing little film festivals, to be shooting stuff to uh, submit to the 48-hour film project and things right. like that.
2: or like julian said like in charlotte there's an organization called uh carolina film community cfc where a lot of people go to network and and really you know kind of get their foot in the door and try to make those connections and you know uh, a lot of times it's about being in the right place at the right time and you know i think if um it's really trying to figure out what you want to do because um you know, I think, as Julian said, a lot of people say, oh, I want to act, or I want to direct, or I want to write. Um, well, I think a lot of people enjoy that. Some people don't. Um, some people don't want to be on a stage or in front of a camera. Julian never does. Um, but you people, wouldn't
3: know from as much as I'm talking here, but, you know.
2: Um, no, <laughs> uh, she um, well, she enjoys, you know, the, being part of the creative process by being on the other side of that. And you know, different people have different skill sets and different abilities. And, you know, sometimes we've uh, been able to find people with costuming skills that become great prop people. Sometimes people with graphics, uh, d- graphic design abilities that have become prop people. And, you know, sometimes it's about having the, the time and the opportunity to train people, to teach them some of the tricks of the trade. And, you know, um, it. To be honest, I think we're always learning something ourselves, and that's kind of cool because, you know, you don't um, you don't start improv and know how to make a suicide vest. When Jolene made the suicide vest, she had to actually spent time researching and and figuring out how to uh, kill yourself and other people at the same time, uh, which on you know, a lot of great watch lists. I was um, gonna
1: say that's a yeah.
2: The funny story for, <laughs> for that, Homeland is. Um, we were both coming home at night and uh she had parked in front of the house and i parked in front of the house instead of our driveway and i got out of my car and she said hey come look in the back of this van and she opens up the this van that production had provided her for the show and uh, there is a box in the back of the van and looks like uh, just uh, a box you would get from a department store you know that would have clothes in it or something that you purchased and um back when people used to do those kind of things and um (laughs) uh she opened it up and it's a suicide vest and i was like you drove home with this and her first reaction was and she pulls out her phone and she you was know, a
3: business card i
2: guess a business pulled card pulled out right? the business
3: card of the head of the charlotte bomb squad yeah and i said i have his number and i'm keeping it with me so if i get pulled over i'm just putting my hands up and saying call this number he will vouch that this is a prop Yeah. Because I actually, you know, I have to learn, I have to learn about not only like what foods would be appropriate for the era, but and, and, and what the electronics would be, but things like blood spatter and how Mm -hmm. to set the CSI scene and, you know, what does blood look like when it's burned on a baseball bat and all of these weird things that I have to figure out. And, um when i did, figured out the when i was working on the, the design for the suicide fest i wasn't sure i was wiring it right because part of it was i did, really don't want to go so far down that rabbit hole and look at all of those things that i'm gonna you know really like get my internet shut off and, <laughs> you're gonna get raided anyway i was, any minute. I, was yeah. I was gonna ask well, by the way, you can buy fake C4 and fake wiring and fake parts to make fake detonators, fake things to make bombs because they make them to train people who either build bombs, you know, who detonate bombs, who defuse bombs. who are working with, you know, at identifying terrorists and that kind of thing. And you can buy inert products to do these things. And so I had ordered all this stuff and got all the parts that I thought I needed, and um, and I used my local resources. So I had called the Charlotte um, Police Department and I had found out about the bomb squad and I had gotten a hold of the person who's the head of the Charlotte bomb squad. Who, by the way, was teaching bomb detection and 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 how to defuse bombs all over the world. So he was the Charlotte bomb squad was a big deal. Cause remember we had the DNC here. We had the democratic National right. here. And so a lot of our equipment and people got really, you know, brought up to a new level because of that. And so um, I, he came in to talk to me. I had all this stuff laid out on the table and I had one that was put together the way I thought it was supposed to be right. And he walked in and we met and he said, just so you know, if I didn't know that this was a prop, I would have backed out of the room and called the bomb squad because it looked real enough wow, <laughs> to, for me to think that it's real. He said, but, and he pointed out what was wrong. Like I didn't realize that the debt cord has to be continuous. You can't ignite C4 from C4. The debt cord has to ignite it. So it has to actually be a continuous loop. And I didn't know that. So, you know, we I redesigned it so that it will look like it wrapped all the way through. But uh, just fascinating little things like that where it's like I know so much more about these weird and bizarre. I can, I've can i never actually started an IV line, but I can tell you what's wrong when I see it on camera because I've had enough people teach me how to start IV lines to know how to do it right. Wow. So for-
2: you, uh, patriots at, or terrorists in training at home, just remember <laughs> the decor
1: has to be
3: continuous. To
2: be <laughs> continuous. Yeah.
1: What a compliment, though, to have yeah. him say that if it wasn't that he knew that it was fake, it looked and so they, real.
2: And the good thing was, we we did get our internet restored shortly there. <laughs> <laughs> I
3: did get allowed on a plane. I mean, I seriously, I yeah. was seriously worried because you know, this was. 2012, uh, 2011, 2013. 2011, 11, yeah, yeah, 11, 12, 13 was when I did Homeland. And, and, and so we were only 10 years out from 9-11. Yeah. And so um, I really was, and I'm the only Jillian Albinski in the country. Mm-hmm. So oh. they, they know it's me. me <laughs> all the Google searches are my Google search. When I have to Google, how much cyanide does it take to kill an adult male? That's me. Googling
2: that. (laughs) Yes, for for all those Siri devices that listen to everything (laughs) we do online, everything they watch, they know about the terrorist uh, devices that Julian Albinski buys, along with all the sex toys. All the weapons you need to kill someone during the apocalypse. But yes. they may not know they're for Homeland, Magic Mike XXL, or The Walking Dead. They yeah. may not put all that together.
3: When You have to go into the porn store and say, I need one of each of your ball gags. Really, they're flaps.
2: And <for> I'm tri- like, <laughs> And for trivia night, Emily, you can ask, is that for Homeland or Magic Mike XXL? <laughs> <laughs> the answer is both.
3: Both. No were only homeland
2: <laughs> the, the dildos were for magic oh <laughs> yeah see even i get it wrong sometimes
0: <laughs> so we're gonna add a stream this week and we're just gonna go through jillian's uh jillian's google search history
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah right <laughs> we, yeah you yeah, can't go to her website which needs a little updating though jillian and you can see um uh, links to a lot of photos and some uh, trailers for things. If you want to check it out, and you can see some of the things she's done over the years. Um, I don't oh. know if you'll see the uh, TSA search or the Department of Homeland. Uh, record <laughs> or, but Probably not. But, yeah.
1: Thank you for bringing up her website. I meant to ask that before. To you know to share with everybody. Well, I'm sure. pulling it up now. Ooh.
2: <laughs> wow. Pretty amazing. She sure.
3: built it, by the way.
2: Well, no, I didn't I didn't I didn't build it. I I, you I, fixed I did some it. work on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here, um, I'm going to show
1: everybody real quick. Ooh. So they know what to look for.
2: There you go. Yeah.
1: There it is. Yeah, and there
2: she is right there yeah. sitting there on the set right of one. Here, yeah. Yeah. With yeah. a photo by Jane Page, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's the one. I like that picture. Thank you. I like that one too. So yeah. yeah. She- Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it's JillianAlbinski.com for anybody who wants to look it up. Jillian with a G
3: and Albinski with an I. That's right.
1: Just like just like it says right there. And anyway,
2: you... Well, it's on the internet. It must be true. That's right. That's right.
1: You also have an IMDB, I believe, so people can find you there as well.
3: Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty much up to date. I haven't checked it lately. I know. I didn't know if you know, but you have to actually update your own IMDb. Oh. Sometimes yeah. do
2: it, sometimes. and, sometimes, and yeah. sometimes
3: people get it wrong.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I have had people listed as a prop master on shows that I was a prop master on. I'm like, ah, 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 ah. I can assure you, no. <laughs> I do
1: not want credit for that one. <laughs> there is a costume designer out there named Emily Kramer that's spelled exactly the same as me, my name, and I have been mistaken for that person whoever she is out there my evil twin or whatever and yeah. i think she had a costuming job on like stranger things or something like that. it was a show that i've seen and right was, yeah and i i kind of wished that it was me but it wasn't me
2: well um fortunately douglas young is a very common <laughs> name. there's a lot of IMDb entries in it and um also uh, when, uh, when I was back in live entertainment, I used to have Google alerts set up for my name because I'd often get quoted in the media for things. And so I'd always want to get a heads up about what they got quoted wrong in articles. And um, uh, the other advantage of setting up Google alerts on yourself when you have a very common name is you get to find out how you die about once a week when you have a very common name it's like oh look it's my oh how did i die in that obituary
1: (laughs) just mourn yourself every single week
2: or go wow it's just like mcgruber or something right every time it's just like i didn't get out of that one i didn't see that coming
1: (laughs) well thank you guys for doing this tonight this was so much fun i learned a ton and you know we've talked a lot about the industry before, but I still learned quite a bit tonight. I want to open it up real quick to our chat to see if anybody else had any questions before we wrap up, unless you had anything else you wanted to add.
2: No, I think, uh, I think, uh, Julian and Emily are going to put those designs for your, uh, at home suicide vest. Uh, <laughs> It'll be kind right. of a...
3: For nine ninety-nine. you can buy. That's right.
2: <laughs> no, no, no. You can't be charged if you give it away.
1: Oh right, It's Got a it. donation. We call it a donation. <laughs> 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 yeah uh, Thank it. Caponos says, thank you for your time, Jillian and Douglas. Caponos is our, one of our moderators. Um, oh, so welcome. he watches the chat, make sure everybody behaves and checks mm-hmm. for spam bots and things like that.
2: Well, we've been getting a bunch of texts from people who apparently have popped in and um, that we know, so that's been pretty fun.
1: Yeah, I've seen the I've seen the numbers kind of fluctuate here and there as people pop in and.
2: So did they fluctuate more when Jillian was telling sex stories from Magic Mike XXL? Mm-hmm. Or... You know, I was laughing
1: too hard to really look at the numbers at that point. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. We've hovered. We've got what twelve people on now. Ten. At one point we had like fifteen people listening. Yeah. So I don't know. It kind of. Fluctuated. I see some and, names I know, some I don't.
2: And, and since this is on Twitch, didn't you have Twitch? Uh, did you guys had Twitch on Magic Mike, XXL. On Magic Mike XXL?
1: Oh, did yeah. you? Yeah, I don't even I have, know how long Twitch has yeah. been around. We're just we're new, so yeah. like Captain.
2: He just saw Magic Mike XXL. It's uh, it's when uh, Channing's character Mike is dancing together with another dancer towards the end of the big competition in the mirror sequence. It's all okay. coming back to you now, right? Right.
1: Okay. I'm gonna have to watch it. It's been so long. <laughs> okay.
3: it's, it's a, it is a buddy movie. It is a buddy road movie, and the 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 dancing stripping part is just sort of like happens to be like the perp, the the excuse for it. But it is a buddy road movie. It really is. I think more guys would like it if they realized that that's really more. Yeah. And would I, you agree, Trey?
0: Uh, yes. <laughs> Uh, I have to watch it for other reasons, but you will, that's neither here nor there.
2: (laughs) Well, and, and, and to be honest, you know, they did the first movie. Um, it was, uh, Channing's idea that he and his partner. Oh, shoot. Logan. No. Um,
3: mm, I can see him. I can hear him. I can tell you all about him. but can't remember his name.
2: Anyway, uh, Channing (laughs) was something with Steven Soderbergh and he said he had an idea for something and um, uh Steven said, great, put a script together and I'll take a look at it. Now, to be honest, that happens a lot in the business. And what people rarely do is put a script together to take a look at it. I mean, they just just it's like, oh, great. You know, Steven Zoderbergh said I could put a script together. And they never do anything about it. But um, Channing and his partner, uh, Reed, it was Reed. Reed, Reed. Yeah,
3: you're good. I just got Reed. it.
2: <laughs> He's- it's Reed. Carolyn, uh, they put together sorry, a Sorry, Reed,
3: I do love you. I'm sorry, yeah. I couldn't remember your name.
2: <laughs> they put together a script and um, they took it, Steven Soderbergh, and um, Steven Soderbergh and all his great brilliance said, hey, this is great, uh, we can't use all of this, we'll trim it down, uh, but we can't get a studio to give us make money about male strippers. Um, and so what he did was he financed it himself And he treated it like a small independent film. And uh, the brilliance of Steven Soderbergh, who really is one of the most creative people in the industry, um, most efficient in terms of how long he shoots, because he shoots and edits on the same day, is that he um, uh, realized that he could not sell a studio on the vision for this project. So basically, they called in a lot of favors. The actors worked for scale. They made it for a limited amount of money and after he had the film together then he took it to the studio and of course the studio bought it and distributed it and it made over a hundred million dollars and so you know great credit to to independent filmmakers who you know really just understand that sometimes um uh, a dear friend of ours judith allen who was first president of all performing arts once told us she's like for creative industry people have a lack of vision and she's absolutely right. Sometimes people just don't understand the vision. blinders. Yeah. This is
3: the way it's done. This is the way it's done. It's like, you know, sometimes you have to do things a different way, find a different path.
2: Right, to get to where you want to be. And, um, and, and for Steven's, you know, brilliance in actually saying, let's show them how much fun this is, and they did it. And then when they did the second film, they had full control over it. And, you know, they had uh, people like uh, – Donald Glover appear in it, and they had Jada Pinkett Smith and Andy McDowell, who we've talked about already, as well as, <laughs> I saw that. So I have a script <laughs> about a woman who moves to Minnesota and tries to train a squirrel.
3: See, that's the problem. She only knows how to train, train chipmunks. So, you know, your fatal flaw is she shouldn't have tried the squirrels.
2: That's right. That's right. That's it's right. a huge
1: jump in species. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but maybe that's what brings it all around is even though she moved there to try to train the squirrel, she finds her true calling with the chipmunk. <laughs> They're so this cute. Saturday on
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> We're going to have to have a whole new, for that, when we go through your browser history, we're going to have to have like a modern romantic at night version. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah oh yeah there's gonna have to be uh some serious beverages in whatever cups you bring Or vessels. that's right
1: mm-hmm. they're just decoy cups <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, well, if anything that was learned in the pandemic it was that a lot of people should understand props a lot better because how many people on their zoom calls had tea or coffee in their cups as they sat through their weekly meetings or their daily meetings <laughs> And
1: spilled
3: them into their keyboards <laughs> we got
1: ruins we're their laptops
3: how much vodka is in this drink?
1: i was thinking they were <laughs>
2: drinking more adult beverages as they had to listen to their bosses that's or-
1: probably accurate a lot more day drinking happened yeah happens depends
2: actually more drinking did happen uh especially during 2020 alcohol cells soared during uh 2020.
1: i believe that i believe that for sure
2: and that was followed by the uh, uh, by the, uh, the the lack of alcohol in 2021, thanks to supply chain issues. Right.
1: <laughs> they called it Dry January, but it was really because it was a forced Dry January.
2: <laughs> I, I keep waiting for more people to ask about the woman who moves to Minnesota and tries. <laughs> to train. She's uh, a uh, mystery. Uh, I, you know, I think they're uh, unfortunately. Um, Laurie Laughlin had that bad situation with the scandal, but it should have been great in that, right? Um, wow, well, we could cast all kinds of uh, actors in that that role. We it's yeah. I mean I mean, I don't know. I think Reese Witherspoon right now is like trying to option the story right now before it's even written.
1: That sounds amazing.
2: Paul <laughs> Kidman Cole is a Kidman. <laughs> And tries to train a squirrel.
1: I, I don't see her training a squirrel, but okay.
2: Instead, she marries uh, a farmhand who happens to be a country artist after a rare situation involving a squirrel. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God.
0: Um. So, Douglas, Jillian, um, as far as like social media things, um, is there anything that you would like followers or uh, tell any of our viewers to go and follow you on? Um, not
2: really. Uh, but I think that you should. I have the accounts, but I never use them. so I I'm think sorry. you should follow a hashtag modern squirrel romantic, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for
1: that. <laughs> I, I have a question that actually um, is just something I don't know. Are you benefited in any way by us here in the audience today going out and watching the movies you've been a part of? Other than we could talk about mm-hmm. it later.
3: <laughs> no, we, we are uh, employees, we get paid by the hour and the day. And we do not get any residuals. Yeah. So
2: Actors often get residuals. Yeah. Um, even background actors who have lines. Um, directors get residuals. Assistant directors, uh, they get residuals.
3: Writers, producers, all the people in the studio. But the generally, the below the line, the line is generally who gets residuals. Okay. So um, we are below the line. So yeah, we do I not gotcha. get
2: and while we're talking about this, Emily, let's talk about another <laughs> critical situation in the industry, the fact that no one wins awards for props of any kind.
3: There is no such thing as an award for a prop. That, that is, is a slight. That is no a slight. Props,
2: there are no props for props. And actually, the awards, if you think about it, are, are props. Are
3: props. The statue you get handed is a prop, and yet there is no award for props. This so the,
2: So the person who creates Captain America's shield can't get a prop. Yep. That's right. Okay. So, right. I know how
1: we're going to change this. We're all, all of us and (laughs) our future listeners on Spotify or whatever platform you're listening to us on, go on social media on IMDb on Rotten Tomatoes on all of the websites where you get your movie information. And I want you to comment that you only watched that movie and you only watch that TV series for the props. That's right. And there should be an award. And we're going to create be an award. New,
2: we're going to create a new hashtag. Oscars, wear props. Say that again. Oscars, wear props. Oscars. <laughs> oh, yeah, the hashtag. Props. I see it. I come on, Oscars. Not,
3: not W-E-A-R, but W-H-E-R.
2: W-H-E-R-E, P-R-O-P-S. Oscars, where our props.
1: Make a hashtag. Make awards for props.
3: That's right. Because so if a if a production is nominated for an Academy Award, for instance, for production design, the production designer gets an award, and if they win, the production designer gets an award, the decorator gets an award, the art director gets an award. So so the team gets awards, but the prop master does not get an award. Now. Arguably, the prop master technically works under the production designer, but not really. The prop master has a lot of anonymity from the production designer and works more directly with the director and the producer and the writer and that kind of stuff. So so in a lot of ways, it could be absolutely argued the prop master is not part of that team. Great. So why don't we have our award then? Yeah, the costumers too. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And if makeup and hair win, makeup and hair wins, you know, they all get the award. But including special effects makeup, you know, it's like all of these people get grouped together, but somehow in props, it, we just, we aren't covered anywhere by any of the awards. Truly the unsung heroes of Hollywood. And yet when you watch like the opening of, of something like, um, you know, every war movie, you know, you do this pan across all of these soldiers marching, what are they carrying? Props. Yeah, millions every, of them. Right. Yeah, every gun belt, every that's all props. You know, every you know time you scan across a map and a treasure chest and a, all those are all props. Well, all the things that they do for the promos of the movies involve props, and yet props not win in the
1: award. Archer thirty three X says he has a contact that works for the Academy. He'll make a phone call. He's not wrong. He really does make it happen make
2: it yeah make it happen hashtag props for props that's right
1: (laughs) i like that let's start that i'll be posting that on our social media that's
2: right that's right i mean can you imagine i we've actually joked about it that if if we had the spare time and uh the editing resources we would take all the classic films you know what whether it's like a john wayne film you know of him going into high noon or whatever um, and taking out the gun, you know, taking out Rosebud for for Citizen Kane, taking out the lightsaber for Luke Skywalker. It's like, where would you be without props?
1: <laughs> Take away the lightsabers, yeah. and it's I mean, just a bunch imagine? of room sounds.
2: Exactly, <laughs> it's these guys just moving their hands. Boom.
1: <laughs> just, I'm using the force because that's all I have. That's right. <laughs>
2: Clearly, they all took lessons from Mr. Miyagi, wax on, wax off, because he had no props. That was what was wrong with Mr. Miyagi. He had no props for his karate school. (laughs) That's right. Uh,
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us, guys. This was such a great night, and um, you're welcome back anytime. Thank
3: you. We'll have to join you guys and listen
1: yeah, That's right. please do. We'd love that.
2: The hashtags are already picking up momentum online right now. It's hashtag props for props. Yeah, right. And
3: there's Oscar, wear props.
2: I'm going to
1: steamroll props. that for you. Right. right.
2: <laughs>
1: Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, I can't wait for this whole pandemic thing to be closer to tame so that we can work together at some point. I think that would be Absolutely. fun.
3: We have to finally go and do the
1: photo shoot. I content. would love that so much. That's right. So I would, yeah. So go to JillianAlbinski.com Go to all the movie pl- movie websites and comment props for props and mm-hmm. tune in to, to Spotify. Thank you very much for joining us.
0: Thanks.
1: Um, oh, what, Trey? Oh, I'm sorry.
0: What about our quote? Our quote for the night. Oh,
1: our quote. Our quote. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I always forget this I'm stuff. Kind of-
0: you have the ability to affect 250 people in your life.
1: How will you be influential?
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Modern Romantic Podcast tonight.
1: Have a good night.